Welcome to the Gem Revealed podcast, where together we discover your soulmate. This is a weekly series of powerful conversations with expert speakers, thought leaders, and relationship coaches talking through the victories and villains that weave their way into our most significant relationships. Please join me, Janine Moniz, founder of Gem Revealed Matchmaking, to learn the raw truth regarding the pitfalls and plateaus of dating in today's society. We will have open and transparent conversations surrounding the staggering facts that one out of every two marriages fail. Let's stop this insanity and learn how to date smarter. Learn how a healthy relationship starts with you. What do you need to do differently to build the right foundation for your relationship? Hello, my Gem Revealed listeners. Thanks so much for stopping by for another week of Gem Revealed Self Mastery to Soulmate. My purpose every week is to make sure that we have valuable information that could not only change your life, but your relationships as well. And that is really on my heart and my mission. And every week I have the incredible privilege to go out in the world and find such amazing people that could bring forth a message that really will stop you in your tracks and help you ponder on what it means to really live your best self journey. So without a doubt, once again, I have the most incredible Dr. Shannon Crawford with me. But before I say anything else and pass the baton to her, I have to tell you how I met her and the one thing that stands out, and she has no idea I'm about to share this. So <laughs> I meet her on a weekend trip to meet up with a friend and have girls with weekend in Texas. And we wind up at an incredible Christians concert. And my girlfriend, Kelly, is going to introduce me to some of her friends. And there, Dr. Shannon is, is one of her friends. And we're at this coolest concert. We're grooving. We're having a fabulous time. And Shannon jumps up and runs after this beautiful woman who's walking by us. And she stops her and they're having a little chat. And she's body language is going and she's beaming. And I, she sits back down. I'm like, oh, is that a friend of yours? She's like, no, I have no idea who she is. I'm like, what? Like your body language is like you were the happiest person on earth looking down at this woman so intently. What was that all about? She's like, yeah, I just stopped her to tell her that Jesus loves her. That's all. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what did you just do? And that is the person in front of me. This woman is so intentional. She's so amazing. She's so beautiful. Her heart is just so on fire for the Lord and God is using her in amazing ways. She is a clinical psychologist. She is changing lives. And today she's going to talk about something that is really important for all of us. All of us are prone to creating habits in our life. And sometimes they are not healthy habits, especially within our relationships. Shannon does what it takes to help us identify the bad habits and what it means to really rip them apart and create new habits. So listen in, she's about to speak. Her energy is going to grab you. So I'll disappear after this because she's going to take over. Shannon, Dr. Shannon, how are you today? Well, great. After that introduction, <laughs> girl, thanks so much. I love how you can meet somebody and in four seconds, you're like, okay, we're lifers. Like we're so going to be friends, like road trips, girls trips, whatever, like this is happening. So I love it. Thank you for that warm thanks. introduction. Thank you for allowing me to be a guest and hello, gem audience revealed, wonderful people out there. I'm so glad to meet you as well. 
Yeah, it's so awesome to have you. And I would agree, you are definitely one of those people like she's in the tribe. I am so excited to have her as one of my BFFs. So thank you for being here. And um, and obviously the intro was nothing less than absolute truth. So mm -hmm. I am looking forward. And here's what I love most of all is so many times when I have a guest on, it's the, the content is really for me to apply to my life as well. And we all know that there's habits. So if we were to just dive in and really grab our audience, how do we kick off with this whole topic? So many listeners, especially, especially I would say even women my age, gentlemen, we're, we're in that second chapter. And we want to do life in a great way. What, what's going on here with the habits that we're building? How do we you know, guide us through this a little bit? Absolutely. So the quickest thing to say is your brain works on automaticity. It's trying to take as much off your plate as possible. It's kind of like the best virtual assistant and the worst virtual assistant. And so there's a lot of automaticity where your brain will auto-populate, kind of like your cell phone where it auto-populates the password for you. So your conscious mind is like, you're the executor and you're trying to get the tasks done. You're trying to meet that person, build a relationship. You're super excited, but there's this auto-populate function happening where your soul will create fear responses or defense responses or pride or start sabotaging thing or things or be unattracted to people who aren't the chase or attracted to people that are not good for you. So I thought I would start with a good illustration that actually happened this week in my office. So I'm working with a woman who um, has a bright future. She's intelligent. She's a leader in her industry, an incredibly competent woman and cannot secure a stable relationship to save her life. So she's coming in, sharing about the current relationship that she's in right now. And the, she knows the guy is no good for her. All of her friends and family say, he is mean to you. He's critical. Why do you keep staying in this relationship? You're depressed. You guys fight every day. It's not good for you. He's possessive. He's jealous. He's insecure. And she's beautiful. I mean, like model beautiful. She could, you know, turn any head and she's educated, intelligent, capable, beautiful, successful, and yet stays in this relationship. So my job as a psychologist is very different than a counselor. A counselor Counselor is going to help you problem solve and identify what's the fruit on the tree. Let's create a solution for that. My job as a psychologist is to think of what are the root systems that are ungirding unhealthy dynamics. So she's telling me, uh, Dr. Crawford, um, I'm going to not break up with him ever. So I just, I need you to know that. And I'm like, great. I have no opinion. Um, I mean, I do because I care about her, but I'm not going to boss you. I don't have buy-in. Like I'm going to try to manipulate you at the end of this conversation of what you choose. Um, and so she's just talking aloud as I'm listening intently. And she's hearing herself say, I'm miserable. He's possessive. He's isolating me from friends and family. I don't even know that I'm super attracted to him, blah, blah, blah. So she's like, I know that I should break up with him. And in fact, the reason I came to you was for the anxiety and the depression, which really, as I'm listening to myself talk, I think is actually because I'm in a relationship I know that I shouldn't be in. It's not healthy. I'm like, okay. And then immediately followed up with, but I'm not going to break up with him. That's not going to happen. I'm like, okay, tell me more. So she goes on to share about this and I lead her through an exercise. She leaves that session. She comes back. And now she wants to tell me about her bestie. And now she wants to get rid of her bestie because her bestie is no good for her. She's jealous. She's possessive. She's selfish, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And so my job, again, is not to tell you to stop being friends with her or be friends with her. My job is to listen intently what symbolically is going on that this client continues to have ambivalence. And the definition of ambivalence is part of me wants something and the other part of me wants something else. And now I'm in an internal tug of war and I'm at feud on the inside. And so for this client, listening to herself talk and realizing as she heard herself say, well, actually, my friend is the one that tells me to break up with him and I'm not going to break up with him. So in essence, she's now starting to self-isolate anybody who has expressed concern over an unhealthy relationship. And so again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I am curious and I'm listening symbolically. Now, knowing backstory is really important. A big part of therapy, or if you're in a self-discovery journey, you don't have to go to a psychologist, but starting to learn your own story and your own template. So if you think of like a template, like the license plate thing on your car, uh, there's like an imprint physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And there's templates or auto-populate functions that gravitate us toward what is familiar and normal. Now, for this individual, they had a family member that they really wanted to attach to, a primary caregiver that was emotionally unavailable and distant. And so as a child, they kept trying to pursue the fantasy of the relationship. And so the child kept feeling like, I will, which is called the moral defense. The moral defense is the child will put the badness of the parent onto themselves. And by doing so, I'm now going to carry all the shame of the relationship and think I'm bad. That's why that's happening. That's why daddy won't come home or that's why mommy hits me or that's why they yell at me because it must be something about me because it gives us the illusion of control and control gives us the illusion of safety. And so as children, we all construct this internal projection of our uh, primary attachment person. And that's the same template that causes us neurotically to kind of go after the same uh, unresolved relationship type. So if any of you are listening and you're like, huh, I kind of feel like a hamster on the wheel. When I was talking to my client, it started to be very clear that in both of her boyfriend and best friend relationships, she's becoming very ambivalent. I love you. I hate you. Don't leave me. But yet I can't stand you. And she's actually doing subtle things to provoke his insecurity. She's doing subtle things to cause her friend to feel overlooked, which then brings out kind of a selfish side of her friend. Now, I'm not blaming my client that he's got issues and the friend probably has issues, but I am saying she is a co-creator of some of the dynamics that she can complain about all day, but has never actually changed. Now, one of the reasons that might happen, oh, did you want to interrupt? Before you go further, I guess you're, it sounds like you were about to say, you know, how do I, how do we identify this? How do you minimize the risk? Because I'm a coach. I'm not a clinical uh -huh. psychologist. Sure. So many of my clients are coming to me with the same exact thing. They're doing the same thing over and over again. So how do we know the difference? And that's, this might be where you're going. How do we know the difference, whether, you know, I'm a coach that helps you create a great mindset and goal setting and creating great habits. How do we know the difference between what's a healthy person coming to a coach with and knowing the difference between this template that you have that sounds like all of us have this, this locked in imprint and what do we do with it? And so I'm so curious, what's the difference between the two, a healthy one and non-healthy one and how do we deconstruct it? Sure. Well, one is how strong our defense mechanisms are around it. 
And unfortunately, there's no post-it note inside that says this is a strong defense response. <laughs> Normally, at just like an antidotal human level, you would recognize it by saying, how much emotional energy does this relationship take? Now, there's a type of energy they call flow, where it's like you have a grace for it. Like, it's just easy. Like I make a new friend and there's just joy, there's peace. I expect you to be emotionally stable and consistent and kind and thoughtful of my feelings. I'm in a dating relationship. I expect the person to be pretty stable and consistent and faithful and loyal or, and that doesn't mean I'm not putting effort into the relationship. On the other side, how much emotional energy? So now again, back to my client, she is spending a ton of time telling her best friend about how unhappy she is with the boyfriend. To the point that now the friend's like, I need to put a boundary. Like, I am so tired of hearing the exact same story every single day. And I tell you what I think you should do and you don't do it. So like, I don't think this is healthy between us anymore. So when you recognize that there's a lot of ambivalence or noise, it's like there's parts of you that are feuding com committee members on the inside. We are many parts of self making one, not multiple personality, just parts of self, just kind of like how you have a skeletal system and muscular system, you know, you have all these um, functions and roles working together. And so for her, she actually can even consciously articulate, I know he's not good for me. Or I know I keep going for the same kind of guys or girls, you know, this is male and female. We all do this same function. Um, and so when you know that there's a lot of energy to something, but it feels futile, it feels like you're on a hamster wheel and you're not making progress. That's when you know you're actually tapping into what's called an enactment. So you're reenacting old dynamics in the present. And it's easy for us to say, I'm the victim. I just keep meeting these uh, jerks and they don't treat me right. And it's the world we live in today or um, these selfish, narcissistic people. But why do I select them? Why do I respond? Why do I stay in something? What might I be doing to kind of poke the bear and provoke something that's familiar? And so with my client sitting there and she's telling about these two people, I'm like, you know, I'm not actually not going to give you any advice on those two relationships. But because you're sitting here, I'm curious if you're open to feedback that I think both relationships are actually both your father figure, the person that was emotionally unavailable and inconsistent. And so now you're creating this dynamic in both relationships and you're staying in a relationship because the definition of an unresolved relationship means that there's a sense of lack of closure. And so there's this drive or compulsion toward completion. And so the unconscious mind in her, um, lots of guys are attracted. She's super, super beautiful. Um, but she's like, they're boring. There's no chase. I know they want me and like, whatever, like I go on a couple dates and they're just, there's no interest. There's no spark. All right. So that's just too big to just glaze over. Mm -hmm. So there's two things that I'm hearing, and then maybe you could close the gap. Yeah. On. So in what you're saying, you know, she's looking to fill the void of a relationship that she had with her father that was unsuccessful or unfulfilling. And she's, she's trying to recreate that to fill that void again and feel better about it, to feel better about herself, which I get that. But what you then just said is, so all these other guys, unless there's a chase, she's not feeling satisfied. But I guess that's where I would say, I would think many people, everyone would feel like, if there's not a little bit of a chase, like if it's just too, like my, my own, my own self, like I uh -huh. can't say that unless there was sure. something like, like a little 
I'm trying to find the right word that would be appropriate for a podcast. Unless there was somebody who was confident enough that there was the little bit of that, you know, cat and mouse mystery. kind of thing, uh-huh. mystery, like I would fall flat too. So how, what's the difference here? And how are you as a professional able for the listeners? How do they know? Cause I'm feeling like, wait, I fall into that. I want the chase. I want the chase. How do I know where we fall into this? Here's how, you know, do I want the chase and it has to stay the chase or I get bored or do I like the chase because it releases dopamine and neural pathways and my reward pathway is all excited and it's fun. And it's like, what's going to happen? Like a really good movie where you're on the edge of your seat. That part of the chase is great. That's what I like. At some point it should mature into a um, companionate love. You know, at first it's like you took a bunch of cocaine metaphorically, your brain is getting all doped up on these happy chemicals, but eventually there should be a maturity that you're not just looping, kind of staying in that groundhog day where you need it to stay a chase. So you always wonder for the ladies that you're like, why do you keep going back to him? Why do you stay in that situation if it's not good for you? Part of it is because now there's the unavailable love object that now I get to get them back. And so they keep staying in a relationship where they get that euphoria, but then they don't know how to attach as a whole self. When an unconscious part of me is attaching to somebody, I can never actually feel satiated, full and content in that relationship. So I'll speak to a lot of people who have love addiction where they just want that new conquest and they'll start messaging on Facebook and they'll start um, flirting with people at work and they've got this little side thing because that part of them is longing for attachment. But when a part of us is unconscious, no matter how perfect, godly, gorgeous, hot your your spouse or your person is, they are never going to satisfy that place because it's still unconscious. So literally there's a wall or a ceiling. And so everything conscious is like, and I hear this a lot from clients. They're like, I'm attracted to my spouse. They're a good person. They love me. They care about me. They're kind. It's the best I've ever been treated, but I'm bored but there's something in me that still feels empty and longing for someone or something else that immediately tells me you have an unconscious part of self that's starting to replicate and long for that high, which is that resolution of something that's longing that's been lost that I finally want to have satiated. But again, when it's unconscious, I can get that all day long and I can stay in that relationship and be 90 years old and it never actually feel rested. So the chase is fantastic. It is important and you need all that endorphins and pheromones to help with the bonding and attaching to a single person. But what happens is now it transitions into companionate love and different hormones and chemicals are released during that phase of a relationship. Got it. That would be the distinction. You said so much there. I wish we could just stay there, but to stay on track, I think I want to talk to you separately about what you just said. But to continue down where we just were, okay, so here she is, I'm on the edge of my seat, and you were about to say, here's this father figure, she's bored with all these other great guys, and she's trying to fulfill the father figure, where do we go from there? So my posture is always humility and curiosity. When you talk to somebody about something that's a defense mechanism response, if you talk to them, this is what's happening, you will meet a wall, because the whole point of that defense is to say, denial, that's not an issue. That happened a million years ago. I don't care. I already went to therapy about that. Are you kidding? Like, we have a fine relationship now. So denial is how you will always come if you come too direct. So even as I'm talking right now, some people might be going, oh, come on, you know, blame your parents on everything or whatever, right? I'm just being like that. 
I'm even kind of like that. So I am sitting on the edge of my seat because I'm one of those people. It's like, really, we're going to blame mommy and daddy for this now? <laughs> I am so like that. I so need to hear this. Good. Um, and I do want to clarify because I think there is a leaning in psychology that could overly uh, pathologize and blame our family, which creates a victim mindset, which is not productive and it's not growth oriented. I guess On that's the where inverse, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater that I speak English today because my parents spoke English to me. That's not blame. That's just a fact. Got it. And if I grew up in a certain family and there were rules and norms and there were dynamics and I learned at an unconscious level, don't express your anger. People are going to leave you. Um, don't eat with your mouth full. They're going to look at you with disgust. You know, nobody had to sit down and say, Shannon, here are the rules to our family getting along. I intuitively picked up a lot of messages, good and bad. And now that becomes a part of my template or my automaticity that's still running in the background. In no way am I blaming anybody for that. I'm just saying that's the context that I happen geographically, um, emotionally, family, politically, whatever. I just grew up in this Petri dish. And so now that's still running in the background. You, and the issue is you, we get very enlightened and our conscious mind has all these great, like, this is who I am. And I'm reading self-help books and I'm moving in this direction. But what you've done is unaware that all this is still running in the background. Those auto-populate functions are still happening. Because my client, I mean, she's corporate, she's intelligent, she's beautiful. Um, she would have no idea that something from her past is still affecting her today. So you can come at it at a wall and then people's defenses shut it down and they go, that's ridiculous. You know, are we going to be Freud now and lay on the couch? Or you can say, hey, I'm curious if, I'm wondering if we can consider. So I call that being water. And even with yourself, just have a posture of humility and curiosity to bend down and say, I'm wondering what roles I may have picked up in my family of origin, and namely the ones that were unresolved. So we tend to take one parent for, grant, for granted, you know, they're kind of more the little bit the stable one, let's say, or a grandparent or whoever raised you. And then there tends to be the unavailable love object. Object is just an object relations therapy term. Don't consider that. It just means male, female, whoever the person that you were trying to attach to. And when there was no closure or resolution of feeling like, yes, you are enough. I love you. I choose you. I commit to you for the rest of your life. If I didn't have that as a child with that person, now the rest of my life, there's an a singular unconscious part of me still running, even though I'm an adult and I could even be a psychologist. And that's where many people who are coaches and psychiatrists and people who know better actually sometimes have the worst marriages and the worst parenting because we can know so much, but it doesn't mean we've had a transformative experience to bring closure. So what you're saying, and, mm -hmm. and I have to tell you, I was going to say before, you articulate really well. I don't know if anybody's ever shared that with you, but you're taking something so complex and really, you know, chunking it down into bite-sized pieces. So I just appreciate that as I'm listening. But so what, what we need to do at this point is to one, recognize that we may have these unconscious templates inside of us mm -hmm. and then bring them forth and begin to dismantle them. That, that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is, how do I know if I have them in it? What I hear, heard you say is if you see this repetitious, this hamster wheel approach to all of our relationships. 
And I would assume that there's, you know, a, a large gamut between, you know, functioning where there's some in there and then the super unhealthy. Yeah. So where are you with this, this client or, or share with us as listeners, I'm sure there's many listeners who are saying, wait, that's, you know, that's me. Well, what do they do next besides call Dr. Shannon? So how, is there a self-help ways to dismantle this? Like, how do we even know? Where do we go? What's next? Mm-hmm. Um, so in a perfect world, you would have somebody to walk through this with you in some capacity, just because relational wounds require relational medicine. The good thing is that you can do a lot in your imagination. And if you believe that it's happening, you can still have some of the same medicinal impact as if someone were actually doing these things. So the first is the humility to say, huh, even though I'm totally fine with it, it's a million years ago. I don't think about it. It's not on my you know, checklist of things that I go through in a day. It may still have impacted me. And there may be a part of me that's still longing for that kind of relationship, that kind of a person who is critical or distant or unavailable or uh, conditional in their love um, or just, um, just blank. You know, a lot of kids have a lot of damage from depressed parents because there's just a blankness or an emptiness. Or if a parent is just kind of in the military or absent, go ahead. This, this might, this is a real clarifying question, especially for listeners. So is this only this imprint? Is it, it has to stem from a childlike experience or can it be where, you know, okay, there might've been a functioning family, but you get married, you stay married for 15, 20 years. And that's where the imprint begins. I'm just trying to make sure that nobody gives themselves an excuse or a way out. So is this simply a childhood imprint or it can happen later in life? That's a great question that I don't know that I know the answer to, to be quite honest. So in traditional psychoanalysis, which is my background, we would say it would be probably your family of origin that you developed many of your primary imprints. So the fact that you stayed in that marriage for that long, maybe there's something there. Um, But I've also been a psychologist for 15, well, I've been a psychologist for whatever years, but I've been doing therapy for 15 years and studying psychology for 20. And I tend to lean a little bit more like hey, your first boyfriend or your first other imprints may have also had a major impact and that marital relationship absolutely could impact you. I don't know that there's necessarily a part of you that would be dedicated to the roles like I'm talking about right now. Um, You would you would probably do that a little bit more conscious, I would assume, but I'm also open to like fleshing that out because I do think each person's situation is so nuanced that it would be hard to say a blanket statement. It can only happen this way. Got it. So it could have been a neighbor, a teacher or something along those lines who had sure. a big effect. Or like a mentor, like somebody you really looked up to and admired and then, or like the cool crowd that you really wanted to fit in with, but always just kind of felt like you're the outside looking in. You may still be looking for that cool person to validate you, but Eddie, or no, um, Annie Hall, Woody Allen has a famous quote, I don't want to be a part of any club that would allow me to be a member. So for a lot of people, they find that person, that love object, but then if they choose them back, that's one of the reasons that there can be lackluster in a relationship is because unconsciously I'm like, well, if you like me that much, what's wrong with you? So that becomes a self-worth issue. Right, which belies some core beliefs for at least one part of you. Even though you may be corporate and intelligent and capable and have all these wonderful assets, 
this can still coexist. And that's the part most people have a hard time is because they identify with the conscious self. I mean, I teach this stuff. I know this stuff. I could, I'm a life coach. I'm blah, blah, blah. You know, like whatever I know doesn't mean I have transformation experience in that area. And that's what I'm inviting people to realize is there's other um, auto-populate functions going on. There's parts of you dedicated to trying to protect yourself from rejection or abandonment. And so maybe you pick the person who's not into commitment because then you never actually have to um, fail for real. You always have an out by blaming, well, that person has commitment issues. Well, they're a narcissist. Well, they're this. And I never actually have to look at myself and say, why do I allow myself to be in these situations? And what am I potentially doing that may be reenacting some of that and poking the bear? So not blame shifting, nothing like that. Just a humility and a curiosity to be open for that conversation. So that's the first step. And then secondly, there's a joining with parts of us. So in the book of uh, Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. There's a sense of we or fluidity between parts of the self. For instance, if you went to the military, you would want a part of you that can be able to kill somebody that's about to you know, be a terrorist and kill people. You want to be able to not kill when you get back home and have a rage alcoholic with your family. You want to be able to cuddle your babies, but you don't want to cuddle your coworkers. You want to be romantic with your spouse, but you don't want to be romantic with the people at church. That would be awkward, right? Like we want the right part of our personality to show up for the right situation. What happens is we can get stuck or fixated where now that part is kind of looping in the background. And that's where a lot of high functioning people, which I work with high functioning people who are like, I'm excelling. Like I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business person. I'm doing phenomenal in this area. Everything is great except this one area and willpower alone has not been able to transform it. So then that means I now need to join with the part of me that's dedicated to fulfilling that function, that role, that desire for closure or intimacy or whatever I was hoping for. And then I need with humility and curiosity, joining with that part of me to say, hey, I understand there's pain there. I understand there's grief and there's latent emotion that's still driving me to defend against the fear that really I am unlovable. So now I'm going to try to prove it through my works, my performance, my beauty, my achievement, my wealth. I'm going to try to prove that as a compensation strategy to protect myself from how vulnerable, scared, unloved, um, unwanted I might have felt in that love relationship. So what you're doing is you're now stepping back into the paused grief phase. And many of us have grief that we have ignored and it could be at any phase in our life. Emotion is, uh, all time does not heal <laughs> wounds. Emotion is uh, electric chemical energy in your body. Not like in a new age way, just a metaphysical, when you have a thought, it's electric chemical energy. So it literally will stay just as alive, like it's a freezer waiting to finally be honored and processed. So with my client, I'm sitting with her and saying, would it be okay with you if we process the fact that you actually might be in the exact same relationship template with both your best friend and your boyfriend? And maybe let's peel back what relationship you're actually longing for. And I'm not going to tell you what to do with these current relationships because I think that there's pain here and it would be a lot more fruitful if we grieve and honor the pain and you sit with reassurance and say, hey, that really did suck. That really was unfair and unjust that 
daddy or mommy or grandparent or whomever was unavailable or critical or harsh or high expectations or learned helplessness that no matter what you did, it was just never enough. Or maybe you were the high achiever and then it always felt like you're on this pedestal that what if I fall, will you still love me as much? And right. so now you're going deeper into the emotion of that experience. So let me, let me put this on a bumper sticker just so I, get, I, I make sure I'm tracking with you. What you're saying is you want to go back to that original place where you were longing for, wherever that relationship did not fulfill you, even if it was on that subconscious level, you would have to take the time, unearth it a little bit, make sure that you're reading the body language to say, you know, that's what we're really dealing with. You really need to go back and grieve it properly. Grieve that properly. Make sure you have an awareness about it, put it to rest, and only then can you come back to present day and begin to find a relationship that's healthy once you've grieved the other one and put it to rest and, and admit and are, and are aware of what you are seeking and know that it's well and right and you forgive yourself. Sure. And there's just a few more things I would just add in that experience. So this is the part where humans are really helpful. Uh, the reason that a lot of people can get a certain amount of breakthrough that's awesome with self-help, but they can't usually get a little bit deeper is because again, relationship wounds require relationship medicine. So I need somebody in front of me to now take the place of, I repent on behalf of your dad for being preoccupied and busy and having a million other things that I put in front of you. I am so sorry that I was a critical mom that pointed out every single little flaw about you and made you super self-conscious. I am so sorry that I was distant and absent and I just kind of was depressed and checked out. I repent to you and I honor that there's anger and sadness and pain and a lot of lies that you believed about your worth and how a relationship goes. If you don't have a human to stand in that place, because you don't necessarily want to do it with the real person. This is an old experience that happened probably many years ago or an ex-spouse or whatever it is. Then you can also do it in your imagination. And this is where I will visualize and just say, hey, God, would you help me see what that the healthy version of that person would have said or done to finally bring repair and closure? And so standing in the gap, and I, this is what I do for my patients, is I will then stand in the gap and say, Lord, what would that person have said or done that would have helped bring a healing balm, a healing salve to that wound? And so then I just take the voice as if it's right now and I am that person and for the first time in their life without justifying or rationalizing or blame shifting, I am taking responsibility. And then what you need to do is have them extract what lies did you believe during that? all relationships, I have to be the one chasing them, or people aren't quite available. You have to stay on and performing. So they'll want you. What lie do you think you believed of shame? Usually, because when we're little, we're egocentric. Egocentric just means my belief systems are always about me. And that's just a developmental stage. It's not bad. But when you call somebody, oh, they're a narcissist. What that really means is somebody who is stuck at an egocentric stage of development and they're wounded there. And so they haven't progressed past that. 
many of us have narcissistic wounds. Not saying we are narcissistic like the culture describes, but many of us have this egocentric, even to say my daddy left because I'm not good enough and he doesn't love me. Or my mom cheated because she didn't love our family enough. And I am to blame because if I had just done or said something else, or maybe there was a parent that passed away, maybe there's something that the child then took in this feeling that it was something about me. And so that's where you're starting to extract what lie did I believe? What this unconscious part of me. And then what truth do I choose to upgrade and exchange it for? And then the conscious mind now needs to befriend and reintegrate, just like I'm visualizing hugging this child part of me that held all of that all these years for me. I'm hugging the defender part of me, and I'm hugging the wounded part of me that carried the pain. So the defender is the one that's going, nah, that's a million years ago. I, I'm so good. That didn't affect me. Or I've already done that. I've even said that in my own life. A psychologist looked at me and she's like, you have a lot of pain inside. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't know all the work that I've done, lady. And then I got into it and I was like, oh, dang, I do have a lot of pain inside. Just yeah. having head knowledge doesn't heal the heart. I, I'm reliving a thought or, or an experience that I had. And it's so similar. And I want to share it for a moment. Because for our listeners, it's so important. Again, I'm, I'm a coach and, you know, I'm going to say, hey, you know, I've done this hard work. I've did, This is my life's career. I've studied. And I, yes. you know, I've used myself as my own, you know, project. I've unearthed everything. And I sat with who I would consider one of my most beautiful mentors. Her name was Terry Dano. She sat with me and she was, you know, we were having a prayer session and she kept asking me a question over and over again. And I said to her, that has no power in my life anymore. It is zero. It doesn't come up. I'm not even remotely, nothing in my, it just doesn't bother me. So she started saying a prayer and she said, you know, Father God, would you help Janine really come to terms with any rejection she has felt the, from this specific person? The minute she said it, I like fell off the sofa and sobs in the corner and rolled myself in a little ball. And I'm like, where did that even come from? Where did that well of emotion even come from? And she said the same thing. That's all in there. And you just weren't ready to really deal with it. And I did the same exact after I partnered with her. We really partnered together. I couldn't get there on my own. But then I came back and sat outside around my fire pit and really had that deep time alone with God and said, can this, I forgive this person for this. I forgive this person for this. I forgive this person for this and let it go and let myself go there. It was a messy journey. Yeah. But the next day, maybe even that day was really a huge transition. And I'm only just remembering that as you're bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to validate for anybody who's listening and saying, oh no, I've already resolved that. Like I've already done that. Maybe you've even done it in therapy. Maybe you've done it in counseling. Maybe you've like directly done that. And I would say, yes, it's true that you are done. And is it possible there may be deeper parts of you that may be holding some of the deeper emotions? Grief is layer upon layer. And so you may connect with well, you know, I hate him and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I've forgiven, I have closure, it's whatever, it's a long time ago. And now we have a great relationship, it's fine. Okay, 
is it possible there could still be sad, longing, shame, fear, um, false responsibility? Is there some other layers to that, that other parts of you may be holding that while this is true, and when I said it to the psychologist, I was like, oh no, I don't have any pain inside. No, you're wrong. That's not true. I've already done X, Y, Z, millions of things in that exact area. I just wasn't allowing myself to hold the curiosity. Is it possible there more be layers to that? And in my life, I had cycles of replication of trauma. I have to say that I wish you would say it again because it's so important. And what I just heard you say that's critical is even if you've done some of this self-worth, but you may have not held that curiosity up long enough to cover all these different spans. Like you just said, maybe you're longing for something that this relationship really hurt you, but you've forgiven that person so you think it's done, but you never really understood the longing piece of it. I think this is so critical and I'm so grateful that I'm hearing it and understanding it. And, and you know, just hearing you say it makes so much sense, mm-hmm. makes so much sense. So important, so okay. important. So how do we begin to close this out? Like, what would you tell our listeners? You know, so we've learned that you know, people are in um, habits and they're sometimes destructive. It causes us patterns that, and to be in relationships that we shouldn't be in. There's these imprints in our heart. We may have even tried therapy, but we may have not stayed there long enough. We need to do a deeper dive. What is next? Where do we go in an effort to kind of close out this, which this could take days to, I could sit here and talk to you forever. Where do we even begin to kind of close and land the plane? Okay. I would say the first is just being curious and an observer. So keep a journal or a phone with notepad open um, with the app of the notes and just observe, you know, when you're eating out of compulsion, when you're texting that person back that, you know, you really shouldn't, uh, when you're sending a, you know, a photo to somebody that you probably shouldn't, you know, or when you're breaking up with somebody out of an emotional big reaction instead of a well thought out planned out, notice when your volume gets turned up, think of your emotion like a volume dial. If your emotion comes very fast and very high, then you know you're probably being triggered. And when you're triggered, you're more susceptible to having unconscious parts of you actually ruling you in that moment. Don't try to change it. Just observe it. And then say, if I were thinking symbolically, what might be similar about some of my past relationships? So for instance, with my client who has the fantasy that she's going to fix her dad that she is going to be good enough. She's going to love him enough. She's going to fix him enough so that she's finally going to be able to have that love relationship she longed for as a child. The issue is she's now dating a guy that she says he's possessive, but she calls it insecure, right? Because then that's something I can fix. There's this fantasy. So I'm not trying to correct her behavior because you know what she's going to do. She's going to leave my session and then she's going to go break up with him. And then they're going to get back together and have hot sex. Like, I will just tell you the movie, like it will happen. But if instead of just behavior modification of saying, well, I just need to stop that. I need to break up with them. I need to date, be on 12 dating apps, whatever. That's not fruitful. What is fruitful is being curious, observing, making notes, and then saying, I wonder what unconscious part of me is longing for something symbolically through this behavior. If you're yelling, are you trying to feel brave and powerful and defending against some vulnerability? If you're pushing people out of your life, but then hoping that they'll chase you back and then that kind of gives you that feeling that they really did want you after all, 
What is it that that unconscious part of you is trying to resolve? And now you can step back in the memories and visualize that person finally satiating and giving that original love that was you were intended to have had that wasn't, unfortunately. And so now you can start integrating and bringing all of that into the light as a conscious committee member instead of unconscious, conscious. And the two are um, in James one, it says a double-minded man where we're unstable, which is the definition of self-sabotage. Wow. I don't know, Sean, there's such good information in here. Like I want to come back and listen to this again, but in, um, in closing, thank you because you shared so much information that can be so helpful to almost everybody, right? If we're really honest, there is some of this um, in, inside all of us. And I think, you know, I'm, I am a component who thinks, I'm per- somebody who thinks that everyone should visit, a, you know, therapy at some point in their life because we live in a fallen world. And let's face it, nobody's perfect. I just believe that, wow, I grew up in such a beautiful functioning home, but yet is there still imprints in there? Absolutely, absolutely. And yet I would claim that I really had a beautiful functioning house. So just thank you so much for sharing. If we were to, uh, I'd love to have you back for part two. I really want to gather some of the feedback from our listeners because this was one that I'm just, I'm really excited over. Um, how would our listeners, somebody who's really struggling and it's past a coach, you know, I recognize that I am a coach. I really love to work with healthy people trying to move from A to A, a to B. Somebody who needs a little bit more, um, you know, can you let us know who should get in touch with you, why they should get in touch with you and how do they get in touch with you? Um, well, I will say therapy wise, I can only work with people in Texas and I have a waiting list. So please don't, don't try to reach out me for, for that purpose. I do have a clinic and I have lots of associates and people are welcome to see any of them, but not me personally. Uh, that'll just make me feel bad and overwhelmed. Um, I do leadership consulting with high achievers, so I can do that virtually anywhere, but again, waiting list. Um, the best thing to do, what I'm most passionate about is to connect with me with the YouTube channel and the podcast. Uh, the easiest way to do that is um, my website, drshannoncrawford.com. And Shannon is spelled differently, S-H-A-N-N-A-N. And uh, then this, I don't know when this is going to air, but Sunday, Mother's Day of 2021, we will be launching the Unlock You podcast. And so I hope you guys can join us. And you is like university, so it's just a you. Uh, And then we have a YouTube channel for the Seven Mountains of Culture, encouraging people to be strategic in their sphere of influence. Excellent. Thank you so, so much for sharing. And I would also let other people know, and you don't have to speak to it, but something that I can't wait. Um, Shannon is also an author and she is in the middle of writing a book and she's told me pretty much the beef of it. And I am waited with bated breath to really read this book. And I am not one to write, read fiction, but I've never heard anything like this. So I have to just tell you again and again, Every time I hear you speak about it, I just cannot wait for this book to come out because it is nothing that I've ever heard before. So good luck to you. God's blessing over you. You are a gift. Your energy is unmatchable. You are dynamite, gorgeous, beautiful. We want you back. Thank you for sharing everything. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Gem Revealed's podcast, Discover Your Soulmate. 
If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. We really value your opinion, so please feel free to send us your question, comments, or feedback. You can email us at info at gemrevealed.com. You can also find out more about Gem Revealed services by visiting gemrevealed.com. I'll see you next time as we discover your soulmate.